Welcome to the Corpora Podcast, where we sit down with the leading thinkers and professionals to explore the intersection between startup law and technology and discuss the future of corporate legal. Corpora is your startup's legal dashboard, simple enough for founders, sophisticated enough for attorneys. We help early stage startups take care of their corporate legal tasks or legal tasks generally from formation all the way to Series B by giving founders the tools they need to take care of the simple stuff themselves, such as sending out an NDA or an offer letter. And we give attorneys the tools they need in order to take care of the complex tasks more efficiently, such as handling price rounds. Our first product, the Smart Legal Drive, is already available for private beta. It helps startups keep their documents organized, accurate, and complete in one location, and it gives you a heads up in case you're missing something. My name is Stepan Khazritsyan. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Corpora, and it is my pleasure to introduce our guest today, Narek Isagulian of Decrypted Law. Narek, I'm going to read your super impressive bio. <laughs> Narek is the co-founding attorney of Decrypted Law, LLP. Throughout his career, he has represented startups from incorporation to exit that have raised billions of dollars in venture capital. He started Decrypted Law to disrupt the industry using transparent pricing models and innovative technology. Narek, great to have you. Thank you for having me. It's great to see you again. Narek, you're you're an attorney. You've you've come off as an attorney that is super excited about technology. What's so cool about technology in law? I think it's because there's such a huge opportunity to create so much more efficiency in law. Um, you know, when you first start out as an attorney, a junior attorney at a big law firm, you're maybe not working on the most interesting parts of a deal or transaction. You're kind of doing things like signature packets, looking for typos, making sure every comma and period is in its place. And clients are paying for that on an hourly basis. And attorneys don't necessarily enjoy doing that either. So there's this huge opportunity for something like AI or some other technology that can take that you know, mundane, boring part of the legal work out and let attorneys focus on what's important, which is the main deal points, the main negotiations and getting the deal done and closed, signed, seen, sealed and delivered for their clients. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and, and and you mentioned, I want to repeat that, that phrase because it's super important that these are things that no attorney took the bar exam for. <laughs> exactly. and frankly, no client wants to pay for. Um, but clients end up paying for it if that's the kind of law firm that they have hired or if it's not that kind of law firm, such as the crypto law, which is super lean, then you end up doing stuff that you don't want to do. Exactly, exactly. And clients get that bill and they're wondering, how did this take five hours, 10 hours, 15 hours? Well, it's because attorneys, it's their job to keep things organized, super clean, attention to detail, a lot of things that just don't have to do with the law but mm-hmm. clients are expecting that type of service from their attorney. So if we can automate it, make it easier for everyone, um, I think both sides will be happy. Mm-hmm. And you sort of hinted at this, so I'd like to explore this further. You mentioned AI taking care of the Monday and the grunt work. And there's a lot of hype around AI. Mm-hmm. Um, is AI this magic wand that is going to come and replace all our worries, all our concerns, or does it have limitations? You know, Goldman Sachs says that 40% of legal tasks can be done by AI. What is AI? What are its limitations and what are its capabilities? Yeah, I think right now it has pretty big limitations, honestly, just because of it's new and it's still progressing. We're still getting kind of the, I feel like the MVP of AI, the minimum viable product. Um, but biggest limitation is 
AI is built on a data set. So whatever data you feed it, whatever resource it has to learn from, that's what it will use to kind of put out output going forward. Um, so that's a pretty big limitation because law is always changing. Business is always changing as the economy, you know, goes through its ups and downs. You know, the last 10 or so years was, you know, great economic times. Now it's a little bit of a downturn. Is AI going to be able to change terms, draft things differently because of that? There's huge limitations just on that data set input that it has. But also it doesn't understand, I guess, human relationships in mm -hmm. business, of course. You know, I'm a transactional attorney, so I'm kind of helping two different businesses or two different individuals get a transaction done. AI might do something that makes the most sense for the transaction or based on previous transactions, but humans have so many different relationships between each other. So some things is just not going to understand in that sense. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What are some of the tools that uh, decrypted law uses today in order to better serve its clients. I, I, I've noticed your LinkedIn post that about you talking about that you're exploring AI. It was a video as well, I think. Mm -hmm. Exploring AI, looking at different tools. Um, how do you incorporate AI in your practice? And generally, what would be your recommendation to attorneys on how they should be going about uh, with that task? Yeah, I mean, we've been trying out a bunch of different things. Um, I think a lot of pro products are still making its way to becoming this thing that every attorney should use. I've tried things like Spellbook by Rally Legal. Google as slowly rolling out, you know, their AI features in the Google, you know, work suite or workspace type thing where it might draft emails for you or read and summarize long emails or document attachments for you, which that seems super awesome and can save everyone time. And then of course, you know, I'm looking forward to Corpora's AI capabilities in the data room. So much time is spent when you initially onboard a client to kind of audit their legal documents. Um, if, you know, if there's some sort of AI system that can just pop up red flags for you and you, re you go directly to those and review it, that saves everyone time and money. So I think the main advice to other attorneys is be on the lookout, you know, proactively see what's out there. Maybe there's something that helps you in your practice more and we're slowly getting there. Um, I think it's really exciting. And I think the ones who aren't on the cutting edge of looking for new products might get left behind. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And as a matter of fact, that was one of the motivations for me to leave my legal practice in order to focus on this because this is the future. It is bound to be done. And either you're among those who are at least either developing the technology or utilizing it first, or you're going to be sidelined, you're going to be uh, marginalized. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned about Corpora's upcoming AI capabilities. Uh, we have our first proof of concept where you can upload your certificate of incorporation for now, <laughs> and it extracts the main information. And we're rolling this out towards over a hundred document types where you would, as you mentioned, you know, upload your legal documents for the startup. Uh, these would be analyzed, key information will be extracted, compared, and if there's a red flag, having an eye for matters that come up in due diligence for a price round, for example. Mm -hmm. This will give you a heads up that, you know what, this IP agreement is missing or there's no board consent for that stock option grant or things of that sort. Yeah, that's huge because clients don't really like paying for that legal audit because they, I understand, it kind of feels like they're paying for their attorney to review things that are already done. It's like, I'm paying for a pre-service mm -hmm. like before the attorney even starts doing any legal work i have to pay him just to become his client basically so to make that pain point you know 
less painful for everyone um i think is attorneys don't like charging for that either but Mm. you know it's it's time that's spent true true significant material time that's spent going through documents especially if a company's raised a series a they've had maybe one or two previous financing rounds they've probably have some material uh, contracts like commercial agreements ip assignments all that stuff you have to go through or else you just don't understand the context and position the company is in right now let me throw out a concept technical debt is a very often used phrase so is design debt but there's also legal debt as in when a startup doesn't want to work with an attorney, they DIY <laughs> it, or they work with an attorney which is simply not competent in startup affairs, at least not venture-backed startup affairs, you pile up legal debt. Mm-hmm. And when you go to a, an experienced attorney such as <laughs> yourself, and you have to you have to pay them that money in order to review and sort of um, clear up that legal debt that existed because they didn't work with you from day one. So there's some context right there of why that money is important to be paid, even even if lawyers don't want to do it and oh, yeah. clients don't want to pay for I it. I think uh, something I some message that I try to push on clients, especially new founders, is you can pay for a good attorney now, which is not that much more expensive than all the self service DIY things you're doing, or you can probably pay anywhere from two x to five x later to clean it up. Absolutely. <laughs> So, yeah, I always recommend, you know, finding an attorney who knows what they're doing in the service that you're looking for, because, yeah, we also got a ton of clients who are like, yeah, you know, my family friend who, you know, is a DUI attorney kind of incorporated my company and now I'm looking for venture capital backing and it's like well you know well sorry you have to slow your (laughs) slow your horses down a little bit let's go back and fix everything so that you know you're basically gonna have to pay twice I don't know if they paid their family friend or not Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and one thing I noticed not like during my, my years practicing as a lawyer is there used to be and still kind of is this binary mindset when it comes to whether you should or should not hire a lawyer a lot of lawyers out there say you know what you have to have this top-notch lawyer from day one that has to be involved with all the situations because every aspect of law is bespoke and requires a very uh, personal touch. Yeah. On the other side, you have founders who say, you know what, no, we're engineers, You know, we can figure this out, we do a lot of hard tasks, this is just law, we'll put together a few tools and we'll make things happen. Good enough is good enough. Mm-hmm. The thing is that both approaches are incorrect and incomplete and there's also a kernel of truth a little bit in each of them. But the thing is that founders aren't the best judges of when good enough is good enough. Mm-hmm. It's, it's lawyers, but lawyers also have to be very honest in terms of when is it that they can be very hands-off, just give high-level strategic guidance, and those situations where they really have to get into the weeds and figure out what's going on and provide a bespoke um, uh, approach? Yeah, I think, you know, I think there are critical moments, at least in my practice, critical moments for a startup where it makes sense to have true hands-on help from an attorney. One is an incorporation. Two is anytime you're dealing with equity or IP and the equity part, especially if you're raising money. I mean, I think a lot of people feel comfortable with, you know, certain instruments that we use in our practice to raise money, but they don't truly understand the long-term implications. So it makes sense at those critical moments to have an attorney. And other times you can maybe coast or maybe just use the resources um, online and things like that to figure it out. Um, I think of it a lot like, tax Mm -hmm. um 
you can spend the time and learn the entire tax code yourself, of course, instead of paying an expensive CPA. But is that worth your time? And if you mess something up now, how much is it going to cost you later? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I want to switch gears back to artificial intelligence. We spoke mm-hmm. about its capabilities, its limitations. The question, the million dollar question is, will AI replace attorneys? Now, that's a very broad question, right? AI, what does that AI look like? AI today, AI five years from now, is it GPT-4, GPT-10, <laughs> GPT-50? Um, and will it replace all lawyers or some of them? Um, very broad question. You, you can tackle it as you wish. You know, what are your thoughts yeah, on this? Yeah, it's, it's really difficult to predict AI's capabilities. I mean, if it could eventually generate its own thoughts and emotions yeah maybe it could replace attorneys um i think really what it will do is enhance um the efficiency that attorneys can provide to their clients um most attorneys are working on an hourly basis and then again instead of spending time doing those mundane tasks that actually usually take a lot longer than the main critical points can be solved by just using ai to do it so i think you know, maybe some very junior attorneys who start out um, doing those mundane tasks just to work their way up. Maybe f- big firms won't need as many of them, but I don't think AI will replace any attorney really f- in the foreseeable future. Mm-hmm. You mentioned you ask the question whether AI will eventually develop thoughts and emotions. Why is this important? You know. We all think that law is synonymous with reason and emotions are the antonym of reason. So why is it important for AI to be able to replace lawyers to have that capacity to feel and to think? Oh, there's so much emotion in psychology and law. I mean, you could just think of family law attorneys who deal with divorces and family matters, how much, you know, how high stake emotion, emotionally invested their clients are, but also just in business and transactions. Sometimes, for example, a there's a co-founders who get into a dispute and want to separate. There's just so much emotion involved. And if you plug in the data points into AI and say, you know, kind of spit out the terms on how they should separate, it would use a lot of, you know, market market terms, things that are considered to be standard in today. But there's so much emotion involved. There's so much context. Maybe one co-founder feels like that co-founder didn't put in as much work as they should have and they don't deserve market. The other co-founder might even be happy taking the bare minimum because they kind of coasted the entire time and they're amicable to splitting up. Like AI can't take any of that into consideration. You have to have emotional intelligence and kind of have that thought process driving the negotiations. Um, AI's probably going to give you a good starting point so i think right now we're getting really close to that where most things ai could give you a good starting point in the legal world at least transactional law mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know as, as as you mentioned and this is something that rarely comes up to my mind as well there's a lot of personally charged points in in law especially in negotiations mm-hmm. right when it's, it's not just reason it's not but it, it starts with building that trust building that relationship and at the end of the day Clients like to have a personal relationship with their lawyer, someone they can trust, someone they can divulge their secrets to and have this honest conversation with. I mean, for crying out loud, when you call a support center and you're connected to a voice message, you want to press that button or say (laughs) representative, representative, just to get through to a human voice. And if in that instance, we want to talk with that human, let alone in, in law, it would be the same. You know, there's... 
you want to build that relationship with a human lawyer. Now, this may change over time, at least for now. Law, the practice of law is a very relationship-specific endeavor to the point that when someone hires a law firm, they're hiring the attorney that works at the law firm, not the firm. And so if that attorney mm-hmm. switches firms, they would go with that attorney and, and leave the firm. Is that your feel as well? Yeah, yeah. And I think kind of to add to that is attorneys also kind of tell their client what they need most of the time. AI is very helpful if you know exactly what you need, at least in this current moment. But it has a very difficult time or you can't really trust it giving its opinion mm-hmm. on what's right for you. Um, so, you know, for example, for going back to the co-founder dispute, it's like what what documents are needed to kind of wrap this thing up. I'm not sure if AI will accurately give you exactly everything you need because it doesn't have all of your company's history inputted into its data set. Your company is unique to the co-founders and what they did. So an attorney, that human confiding secrets, all of those things is helpful because then the attorney can figure out what you need, what's Mm -hmm. right for you. And from that point, AI could step in and again, give you a starting point on the first set of documents. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like in the near future is going to be a, a hybrid this practice of law is going mm-hmm. to be powered by AI to take care of the grunt work, the mundane work that no attorney likes to do and no client wants to pay for. There's also this very fundamental layer of human thinking and gut feel and intuition that is going to be provided by the lawyers, at least the way we know AI today, right? We're talking about GPT-4, we're talking about the large mm-hmm. language models that are available today. It will enhance lawyers, but probably not replace them entirely. In the future, things may change, um, but yeah. at least for, for today, that's uh, that, that's my feel as well. There's a lot of disruption to happen in this space. Um, the way I like to think of it is corporate attorneys do four fundamental tasks. They We create documents, negotiate documents, analyze documents, advise document, advise on the law, and AI will impact all four respects. Mm-hmm. Um, but it won't replace lawyers entirely. Now, not a, one question is whether AI will replace lawyers. The other question is, should AI replace lawyers? Now, let's assume that mm-hmm. AI is this magic wand where GPT-100, it can feel, it can think, it has all the emotions that humans have. Artificial general intelligence is a fact of life. We are past the point of singularity, as they say. Yeah. Should AI replace lawyers? Do we as humanity want that to happen? That's a great question. It's the really deep in a sense. <laughs> uh, I can imagine that same question applying to you know doctors or any other type of professional services. And it's it's hard to say. I think there are some pros and cons, and I think some of those discussions have came, kind of came in the past in the form of should like an algorithm replace certain judges in courtrooms because there is always some sort of ethical implication and dilemma of having emotion, having an emotional attachment, having preferences and things like that. So it's like maybe in certain situations, AI could remove that kind of factor out of you know negotiation judgments things like that and kind of make it more fair for everyone rather than you know sometimes you hear about injustices and things like that based on people's biases and you know maybe ai can remove that and fix that so replace some some attorneys some decision makers some judges things like that juries juries maybe Maybe. even (laughs) yeah yeah um you know, I I think it's very difficult, you know, to say, but 
maybe maybe i think there's potential yeah yeah i wonder if in that case we should have 12 ai serving on the jury or if one <laughs> could suffice and play 12 roles or whether the number 12 is to be done away with altogether yeah it's it'll, i mean it would be crazy I, I don't know how people feel about it but people grow accustomed to things over time you know it might be crazy the first mm -hmm. five years but 40 years down the line everyone's just used to that being the norm yeah yeah i i can see it happening i i still have my strong reservations uh onto that happening because i was writing about this recently in a in a blog post that will come up soon um that lawyers the practice of law is as old as time and mm -hmm. lawyers have been around for as long as there has been human coexistence whenever the first tribes formed there had to be law or norms um, religious something oftentimes in order to make people live together in peace uh, lawyers have been the gatekeepers of that status quo and making sure that things are as is and people live peacefully now that's a very important role mm -hmm. that that helps people survive and unless AI can neatly and seamlessly fill in that role, then um, we should be very careful about letting that happen. That being said, um, again, I, I lead a legal tech company which is building AI for <laughs> lawyers, so I'm, I'm, I'm very bullish on the possibilities, but we have to be very mindful about the um, downsides as well. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we're already hearing about you know, Sam Altman and the open AI guys talking about introducing regulation in the US because there is that, true fear that things could go horribly wrong <laughs> but i like to be an optimist i think um, people will rein it in um, we'll use it as a tool that'll bring many many efficiencies but won't cause too many problems of course there'll be some bumps mm -hmm. in the roads but i don't think it'll be as dire as some people predict it to be shifting gears once again um decrypted law is experimenting with alternative fee structures mm -hmm. transparent pricing flat fees um and this is all very important for the practice of startup law could you please talk a little bit about this and what sets this type of new law approach apart and also let me weave in a third question what are some questions that startup founders should ask their attorney or their prospective attorney as they go about finding the right attorney for them. Yeah, yeah. So decrypted law started because, you know, I was working at a previous firm and a huge pain point for clients was the example of, you know, they would call me after they get the bill and be surprised out <laughs> why it's so much. And they would say something along the lines of, you know, I love working with you guys, but every time I give you a phone call or email, it turns into this like huge bill that I get in end of the mail that I, end of the month that I'm super surprised about. And I felt like that didn't make sense because it cut off the communication between a client and an attorney and it led them to DIYing a lot of things and costing more later to fix it. So what we did was we give a transparent fixed fee price upfront for most things. And we also offer like a subscription service where it's unlimited communication with your attorney and certain mundane tasks that are very, you know, everyday type things for a startup that they probably shouldn't be paying $800,000 an hour for. And, you know, that has been super su successful. A lot of people are surprised. Uh, you know, they're kind of like, what's what's the catch? But there isn't much of a catch. I feel like a lot of the overhead at, at other firms is unnecessary. And that kind of leads into the future where I think AI is going to totally make all that overhead 
obsolete. Like there would be no reason to have so much service staff, so much business development, te- marketing teams, all of that. Yeah, I'm kind of like rambling now, but but, all, good. but that's kind of the vision. It's built for the future. And I think a lot more firms will be following this model as they integrate more advanced technology into their practices. Um, as far as what people should look for or founders should look for in a startup attorney is one, you want to look at their experience and make sure this is actually a practice area that they've you know been practicing in, have represented companies and venture capitalists it's good to have both sides and you know maybe ask to be introduced to a client or two get a testimonial because um there are a lot of attorneys who may want to break into the space but don't really understand how niche it really is um another item you know or attribute that they can look for is that is this attorney kind of on the cutting edge trying to make things more efficient um, which is what we're trying to do all the time, um, looking at new technologies that we can use. Because again, who wants to pay for your attorney to kind of make sure every comma and period is in place, right? Kind of more want to get the deal done. Um, and lastly, kind of all folds into one is just being practical about those things. You know, get the big things right, um, bring the most value uh, for your client rather than, you know, running up the bill, mm-hmm. doing the things that the, you know the client doesn't care about. Um, a lot of times people peg that to their prestige and reputation. And I think over time, people are caring less and less about prestige and more about the practical things in life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And all excellent points. Mm-hmm. And the founder has to really vibe with their attorney, right? They yeah, should feel comfortable. Yeah. Someone they like and trust, of course. That's like a given. Uh, I thought I'd try to give more like uh, no, lesser no, no. known things. Yeah, that all, 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 all spot on. And and that likability part goes both ways, right? You want you yourself want to like your client, and mm-hmm. you want your client to like you too, because you know when you do a price round, you have to have that very honest conversation at times, and you want to make sure that. Um, whatever you say is accepted the right way and you guys can have that talk oh yeah yeah there especially during a price round it's really like six weeks of almost like living with that person you're you're every day you're talking to your attorney through those you know six weeks and i i don't think most first-time founders expect that and they're really surprised on how much of uh you know time commitment it is from both parties during that time Ladies and gentlemen, my guest today was Narek Isagulian, co-founding attorney of Decrypted Law. He is also an attorney ambassador of Corpora. Check out his profile at corpora.us slash attorneys. Narek, so great having you. Thank you. Thank you. This is great. <laughs> this <laughs> is excellent, man. Yeah, awesome. That was fun.